Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, from the Draft Network, and lots to get into today. And want to focus on the draft and where exactly I believe Washington will go with the number 11 overall selection. After talking with scouts, after talking with personnel, talking with individuals inside that building in Ashburn, where do the commanders go with their 11th overall selection? Do they stay at 11? Do they trade back? Do they trade up? Lots to get into, lots of prospects to talk about. And let's start with Ohio State's Chris Olave and Ohio State's Garrett Wilson. Two wideouts that have first round grades from myself, and I'm sure many of you out there that are expecting Washington, they're going to take a wide receiver. At 11 overall, it could be a Chris Olave, it could be a Wilson, it could be a Jameson Williams. But following the developments out of Ohio State's Pro Day today, where Ron Rivera was present, Marty Herney was present, that matters. I will get into that a little bit later, what the significance of Rivera's presence could be in retrospect, considering Washington needs a wide receiver. They have Terry McLaurin on the roster, a former Ohio State alum. Rivera's success in Carolina with Ohio State wide receivers. He drafted Curtis Samuel. He drafted Ted Ginn. He brought on Philly Brown as a UDFA. So the connections are there. There are also moments today, reports are made that he was found talking with Brian Hartline, the wide receivers coach for the Buckeyes. Lots of connections to be made there. And I want to talk about Olave and what he could potentially offer opposite of McLaurin. One of the smoothest route runners in the class. You're not going to find a more fluid athlete. Olave stayed an extra year. He could have came out last spring and would have been a first round selection. Whether his stock went up or down is is to be you know a conversation to be left in the past because looking towards this year in a deep wide receiver class, he's still a first round talent. He's still a guy that can come in and holster a wide receiver one workload. But if you look and what Olave could offer opposite Terry McLaurin, you're really playing with fireworks and his skill set, similarly to what Terry did so well out of Ohio State. That's a guy who can work over every single level of the offense, has short hands. And when you look at his route running ability and how fluid he is, and a lot of people compared Terry McLaurin's route running to a Stephon Diggs out of Maryland. You look at the success that Keenan Allen has had out in Los Angeles and his footwork that makes it a nightmare for corners to try and defend. And when you have a guy with that pro-ready game as a route runner, you can teach him how to shield his body against bigger, stronger, faster defenders. But are you going to be able to teach a guy how to win off the line of scrimmage when he's facing guys in college in the Big Ten, if he's facing a guy from Purdue or Iowa that is three, four yards off of him? Now he's in the NFL and he's facing a Darius Slay who's six foot one with long arms and understands how to mirror guys within the contact window and then pass them off to safeties. How is he going to be able to separate in those one-on-one situations? And when Terry McLaurin is drawing eyes or teams opt to bracket him with a corner and a safety, is he going to be able to get open? And I think Chris Olave is a guy that can do that. And I'll be the first one to say that I wasn't the highest on Olave coming out in this class. As I look at Ohio State, and you look at a guy like Garrett Wilson, and you look at the guys even behind him that they have coming up, 
and that embarrassment of riches for the Buckeyes with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is going to be an absolute, who is a stud this year, who will be, you know, is going to be a bigger stud moving into next year and one of the top receivers off the board next spring. But seeing Ron Rivera in Columbus is significant considering the fact when he was in Carolina, he only went to three pro days outside of the state of North Carolina. It was in 2011 for Cam Newton at Auburn. It was in 2011 LSU for Patrick Peterson. And then 2017 at Stanford for obviously when the Panthers took Christian McCaffrey. So Ron Rivera being present in Columbus, whether it was for Chris Olave, whether it was for Garrett Wilson, or it was a look even towards next year to watch CJ Stroud slinging around a little bit. His presence in Columbus is significant, and it's not something to be disregarded. Another option where Washington could go at 11, and if any of you guys out there have been following me on social media, seeing any of our videos at the Draft Network, you know how high I am on Jamison Williams, the electric wide receiver out of the University of Alabama. My wide receiver won in the class, and if you look for a guy that can change a game in an instant. We saw today the Miami Dolphins trading for Tyreek Hill, adding more weapons for Tua Tagovailoa. I think Washington has done a great job this fall shoring up their offensive line. We talked about that a couple pods ago with short, you know, re-signing Charles Leno, drafting Sam Cosme last year, bringing in Andrew Norwell at left guard. You're also going to want to keep Terry McLaurin happy. And you're also going to keep Carson Wentz happy. And we've seen in the past, this past year and last year, Terry McLaurin consistently being doubled and teams just saying, okay, we're going to take away number 17, but what else do you have? Curtis Samuel being hurt last year was not good. Antonio Gibson putting the ball on the ground. Logan Thomas was on the shelf. Adding a guy like Jameson Williams, well, it's nice to run 4-2. It's nice to have ideal linear speed but as we know in the nfl we saw in years past we can even go back as far as the 1970s and 80s when dallas signed bob hayes bullet bob hayes the track athlete went to the olympics and they brought him in because that's dallas being dallas right splashy signings but when you look at jameson williams and his ability as a pure route runner and a receiver comparatively to what tyreek hill does so well and comparatively to what terry mclaurin does so well It's more than just having straight line speed to be successful as a wide receiver at the NFL level. Because what if that's fine that you run a 4-2, that's fine that you run a 4-3, but what do you do when a corner gets his hands inside your breastplate and you have to work past that and continue your route stem while your quarterback has five or six guys breathing down his neck? And what Jamison Williams did so well as a transfer from that deep Ohio State receivers room, he was behind Olave and Garrett Wilson in Columbus and then came to Alabama and was their de facto wide receiver one after they lost Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle last year. So he worked alongside John Mechie this fall as Alabama's clear target in their receivers room. And it doesn't matter where he was. It was in the slot, outside of X, on jet sweeps, receiving crossers, deep posts, nine routes. It did not matter what Jamison Williams did this past fall teams had absolutely no answer for him and it really is unfortunate that he you know suffered injury and who knows if he'll be healthy for OTAs or training camp or you know what his timetable will be moving into the regular season but when you have a talent like that 
and you have a Curtis Samuel, and you drafted Deami Brown, and you, ha- you re-signed Cam Sims, and who knows what they'll do with DeAndre Carter, and you drafted Dax Milne out of BYU in the seventh round last year. It's not to say that you're expecting Milne to come in and have 100 targets this fall. I think that would be a fireable offense for Ron Rivera's crew, and that would be worst-case scenario. Now, that's not a guy that you want holstering that kind of workload. But Jamison Williams, when healthy, is the clear wide receiver one in this class. And if you want to keep Terry McLaurin in town, you want to keep Carson Wentz healthy and give him the best available talent around him to optimize his situation in Washington to where they can have a good run game. They can then put in J.D. McKissick and throw the ball out of the backfield. You can then have McLaurin on the outside, put Jamison and Terry on the same side of the field, flex out Logan Thomas. A lot of different things you can do in Scott Turner's offense, and adding a guy like Jamison Williams is the sexy pick. It definitely is. You look at what Dan Steiner has done in the past and the sexy sex selections, that would fit his bill, but I don't think he's making the decisions anymore. I think it is Ron Rivera. I think it is Martin Mayhew. It is Marty Herney and their pro scouting staff and on the college side as well. Is Williams the ideal selection at 11? I don't think so. I think they have the necessary talent and their wide receivers room to be successful this year. But if you're looking to make multiple individuals happy, especially Terry McLaurin, who you're going to need to pay soon, and if he doesn't get the necessary looks, the necessary targets, and teams continue to just double him all day long and you know he's not able to do anything on the outside, don't get me wrong, he's still going to get his. But he's going to go elsewhere to work with a top-tier quarterback or work with a team that potentially is going to be inside a Super Bowl window. So the first two guys, Chris Olave, could come in and is very similar to Terry McLaurin is that immediate wide receiver two. But Jamison Williams is a situation of wide receiver 1A with Terry McLaurin and wide receiver 1B with Williams. And that should excite many, including Ron Rivera and Carson Wentz. The third guy I want to get to from the wide receiver class is a tricky evaluation. And when it's it's Traylon Burks from Arkansas, and I know he's a popular pick, and I know a lot of you out there are clamoring for Washington to take him when they're on the board at 11th overall. And I think the main thing when it comes to Traylon Burks and the evaluation process is if you look at Traylon Burks's film and you watch him dominate against teams like Alabama and throughout the year in the SEC, and you look at his combine performance, if you solely base your thought process and what you think of Traylon Burks as a prospect and what he will be four or five years down the road at the NFL level, just based off of what he jumped in the vert at the combine, what he ran in the 40, your process is wrong. I'm sorry to tell you, your process is wrong, and you got to go back and reevaluate yourself and how you're evaluating these prospects. If you're watching a player for multiple years compete in the SEC and dominate and then go to Indianapolis and run in a t-shirt and shorts and, ah, you know, he didn't run a 4.3 or a 4.4 at 225 pounds. 40 speed and game speed is much, much different, folks. They're, they're not comparable. And when you watch Traylon Burks, he's not a 4.5 guy that he ran at the combine when you watch him on film. And at 225 pounds, the easy comparison is to you know compare him to Debo Samuel, but I think that would be a disrespect to Debo because he's a, a different beast. And as far as their initial quickness, um, it, they're not comparable. But when you look at what Traylon Burks does similarly 
to Debo Samuel and kind of their projections out of college, Traylon Burks in Scott Turner's offense fits nicely. Because you look at what especially he wanted to do with Curtis Samuel when healthy. It's a lot of window dressing before the snap. It's a lot of motions. It's a lot of designated touches behind the line of scrimmage. It's a lot of screens, getting him the ball three, four yards beyond the line of scrimmage and letting him create an open space. But then if you add a guy like Burks, who's, you know, he's not a small kid, 225 pounds, and there's some safeties or some linebackers in this league that are at or even under 225 pounds. Then you add in his ability to run over defenders, run around defenders, go over them. He does a lot of different things with the ball in his hand that makes him special. And then when you take the ball out of his hands and ask him to run the full route tree that he will run at the NFL level, whether he's working in the slot or working outside on the boundary side or on the field side of the formation, Scott Turner asks a lot of his receivers in this offense to move around and have maneuverability to where when you look at what the Packers used to do, now Vegas Raider, and Devontae Adams, you line them on the outside and it's good luck, right? Washington hasn't had that luxury to do that with a receiver. I think they would like to do that with Terry McLaurin. He has that ability, bringing in a talent like Carson Wentz to where he has the arm talent to be able to not only hit Terry McLaurin on a 10-yard slant, but also hit him on a 35-yard go ball you know, over the top of the corner's back. So Traylon Burks, if McLaurin is, is consistently working the intermediate to vertical areas of the offense and Traylon Burks is just dominating the shallow areas and you have Curtis Samuel doing different things on designated touches and then you hand the ball off to a J.D. McKissick or you feed Antonio Gibson 25 times a game, that kind of allows you to diversify your offensive attack And that's exactly what Ron Rivera and Scott Turner want in their offense. So if you want that versatile option, a guy that can do everything, checks a lot of boxes, that's Traylon Burks for you. But if you look at this, the mold of the NFL receiver today, it's your Chris Olaves, it's your Jamison Williams, guys that have already run the full route tree, guys that have shown their ability to create in contested scenarios, win inside a phone booth, win in 50-50 balls catch it 15 yards down the field and take it for 60 yards to the house, have that breakaway speed at the next level. Those are your type of guys that you look at and say, those are wide receivers now today. But you look at Traylon Burks and what he does successfully is a guy that does everything. He's versatile. It fits the NFL mold. I'm not sure he'll ever be that Debo Samuel type where he's a wide receiver slash running back. I think that role right now in Washington's offense wants to be with Curtis Samuel. I don't know if... He'll ever be able to live up to that, especially considering what Antonio Gibson will do in this offense, what a healthy J.D. McKissick will do as far as in the passing game and in the running game, which I feel like he should get some more touches this fall and the pop he showed when healthy. So Traylon Burks, Jameson Williams, and Chris Olave, if you're Washington sitting at the 11th overall pick and they're in need of a wide receiver, those are the three guys that I expect them to have a ton of interest in when they're on the board. And then on the opposite side of the ball, There's two spots Washington needs fresh legs at and some immediate pop. And one is more than the other. And I think when you look at the middle linebacker spot, Washington will not be taking a linebacker 11th overall. Neither is there one that should be 11th overall. There's not a Micah Parsons in this class. There's not even 
really a, a Jamin Davis in this class. And I know some of you are probably scoffing, oh, Jamin Davis, you know, just give it time on him. He has a long way to go. But for me at 11th overall, if it's not a receiver, if it's not trading back, if it's not potentially trading up because of the presence that Washington even had yesterday at Liberty's Pro Day, where Scott Turner and Martin Mayhew were both at, they were one of three teams, including Carolina and Pittsburgh, to have both their offensive coordinator and GM at Malik Willis's Pro Day. It's going to be a corner. And two names that are on my mind with the 11th overall pick are Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, who has the clear best name in the entire draft. How can you go wrong with a guy named Sauce? And then Derek Stingley, the corner out of LSU, who has received a lot of flack since his dominant 2019 freshman campaign. And I want to start with Sauce, and after getting to know him a little bit more in Indianapolis and the type of man that he is that he'll provide also to a locker room and a community, and looking at this Washington roster to where they tried to get better on the outside last year, bringing in William Jackson, and they drafted Benjamin St. Just. But it got a little sticky considering the fact that Kendall Fuller, who, when his first tenor, tenure in Washington was best in the slot, was working outside last year. And they cut Jimmy Moreland before the start of last season, which optimally you would have William Jackson starting opposite of Benjamin St. Juice and allowing Kendall Fuller to slide to the inside. However, it was much the contrary when it was William Jackson, Kendall Fuller starting opposite, and Benjamin St. Juice working in very sporadically, I guess is the best term to describe St. Juice's role last year because he also missed time due to injury. But if you look at Sauce Gardner and you draft him at 11, not only is he your CB1 that can work in zone and can work in man, and that's something that Jack Del Rio has said multiple times that he would like to work in man. He just hasn't had the bodies, hasn't had the athleticism and the pure coverability to do so. How many times do we sit during the year since, you know, in the past five, 10 years where it would be third and eight, third and nine advantageous situations for the defense where you can look at guys like in the past with Brian Arakpo and Ryan Kerrigan. And then now recently with Chase Young and Montez Sweat, where you're sitting there at third and nine and you're saying, great, we're going to have these guys pin their ears back and get after the quarterback and wreak some havoc. Meanwhile, you have your outside in the corners and they're not able to sit in zone and make plays. They're just dropping back. You know, they're starting with the line of scrimmage, four or five yard blanket to wide receivers. You know, guys are turning and running routes, catching the ball seven yards downfield, leaning forward, and there's your first down on third and eight. So you add a guy like Sauce opposite William Jackson. You kick Kendall Fuller inside where he's most comfortable. He's now also aging a little bit, and I would kind of add a boost, um, you know, allow his legs and that tread to stay fresh. Uh, on his said tires, uh, you know, if you will. But Sauce Gardner has all of the ability to come in to the NFL and become a, a shutdown corner due to his length and his alpha mentality on the outside. And I know some people like to compare him to what Jeff Okuda was out of Ohio State. Detroit took him third overall just a couple of years ago. I hate that comparison because you look at Sauce Gardner and you watch him at Cincinnati. It's not the SEC. It's not the ACC. It's not the Big Ten. But the Bearcats flat out play ball, and it started with Gardner. And when you watch him against a guy like Calvin Austin, the third from Memphis, a wide receiver that will come out in this year's class and be a day two pick, you watch him against Jamison Williams in the college football playoff semifinal, and the guy just can flat out play football. And usually, when you can just tell by the eye test and you can look at guys and you just know 
And, there, and you know, everybody out there has seen football players before, whether it's you're watching the NFL, you're watching college, or you're going down to your local uh, you know, high school field to watch Pee Wee. You know. You know when you know. And Sauce Gardner is that type of guy. And like I said, getting to know him at the Combine especially and the type of individual that he is coming from the streets of Chicago, uh, appreciating what he has and what he's looking forward to doing at the next level. Obviously, you've heard it before. You know, he hasn't allowed a touchdown in college. doesn't plan to do so at the NFL level. You know, sorry to break it to him and, and to everyone out there that may think Sauce Gardner may come in here and be the first cornerback to ever not allow a touchdown and you know, playing a majority of snaps, it will happen. He will give up touchdowns at the next level, but I don't think it'll be too, too many. Uh, he's a kid with a heck of a lot of talent. Again, playing in man, playing in zone, he can do a lot of things. You ask him to sit back in zone and just play downhill and make plays in the football and make TFLs behind the line of scrimmage and stick his face in, you know, in the mud and the trenches, and he'll, he'll do those things for you. Or you just ask him to shut down the entire third of the field on a cornerback one, and that's exactly what he did against Jamison Williams in the college football semifinal. He can do that also. So you're looking for a refined prospect at 11th overall and a guy that can come in and compete right away. That's Sauce Gardner. And then there's Derek Stingley from LSU, who is a guy (laughs) that is very, very interesting uh, as we sit here in late March, and where will he come off the board? Will it be a situation like last year that we saw with Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, the linebacker at Notre Dame, and he slipped into day two? Stingley, if you turn on his 2019 film, he's CB1 in this class and probably would rival Kyle Hamilton as the best secondary prospect in this entire class. But you go through 2020 and you go through 2021 and his injuries and his lack of pop this year and you turn on his film against UCLA and, you know, he's facing UCLA wide receiver Kyle Phillips, who is also a wide receiver to watch on day three this fall. And Kyle Phillips, who's 5'8", is running through him near the boundary and he looks uninvolved. And those are the things right now, if you're Washington, you flip on the film and it's, am I going to take a guy like that at 11th overall or... Am I going to look back to the 2019 film as a freshman where he looked like he was the most dominant defender in college football and could have been a top three pick in this year's class? So there's a ton of things to weigh with Stingley, whether it's pros and cons. And I think when you look at Washington's defense, again, similarly with what Gardner would offer, I don't think Stingley, where Gardner would come in and be immediately CB1, Stingley has that ability whether he's healthy or not is also an issue. And using, you know, expending, allocating that high asset, at, you know, the 11th overall pick on a guy you're really not sure what you're going to get from from day one, that's a sticky situation to attempt to maneuver around if you're Mayhew and if you're Ron Rivera. And the highs are definitely obvious. I think when you watch him at LSU and at, you know, in 2019 and even at times this fall where he does everything you look for in a dominant secondary defender at the NFL level. Can he tackle? Yes. Can he cover? You bet. Does he have ball skills? Of course. Is he athletic enough to, or, you know, is he big enough? Is he physical enough to, when you have a pulling guards coming to the outside, is he just going to go low on the guy? Is he going to be able to take on the guard and maneuver around him and make tackles. He can do that as well when healthy and when interested. 
And when you turn on the film and you see those flashes of just not being there, those are the things that will shy teams away from going in the top 10. And if Washington is sitting there right outside the top 10 at 11, and they think they'll have you know themselves an immediate corner CB1 with Stingley to where they can slide William Jackson over and put Kendall Fuller back in the slot again and add this guy that they'll be tasked with covering the you know Devonte Smiths of the division, the C.D. Lambs, the Kenny Galladay's, the Sterling Shepherds in the slot for New York, and then coming up and making tackles on Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders, and these are the type of guys that the division has, you know, at at their disposal. And for me, if you put Sauce Gardner's resume to my left and you put Stingley's resume to my right, and you ask me to pick a guy and and, and who you know, it would be just one guy. Uh, that would be Sauce Gardner for me, considering the fact of what I've seen on film, the consistency, the constant pop, the little amount of negatives that I've seen. It helps that he hasn't, again, given up a touchdown in his collegiate career, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think Stingley's highs are higher than any corner in this class. I think that can be said potentially about any defender, maybe other than Kyle Hamilton and the ridiculous things that he did, you know, he did consistently on film at the back end of that defense for the Fighting Irish. But Sauce Gardner, if I'm Ron Rivera and I want that alpha and I want that CB1 and I want that shutdown defender and I have William Jackson and Kendall Fuller in my back pocket and we drafted a six foot four Benjamin St. Just and we're going to have a veteran safety and we have Cameron Curl and we have the necessary pass rush to get after guys. We're going to allow Sauce to get after people with his length on the perimeter and consistently disrupt route stems, whether he's facing a bigger-bodied receiver in a Devontae Adams or a Mike Evans or kind of these smaller, shiftier guys that still have a ton of wiggle and strength in Stephon Diggs or has to match up against a Tyreek Hill or a Chris Godwin. He can do it all. And as we know, the NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And when you turn on Sauce's film, everything is there. Everything's in front of you. The resume is deep. It's all filled out. Sauce is sauce. He's going to provide a ton of impact for you from the moment he steps in the facility. And Derek Stingley, if all comes to fruition, could be one of the top three corners in football. He showed that in 2019. If healthy, could be everything a team is looking for in that dominant perimeter corner. And the last topic before we wrap up here today is the signing of F.A. Obata, Washington made just a few hours ago, coming over from the Buffalo Bills, a former international pathway program player. And yes, a former three-year member of the Carolina Panthers because Washington will never be able to sign anybody, apparently, that does not have past ties with the Carolina Panthers. But looking at what Obata will offer, um, this is a depth signing. It's nothing to go crazy about. It's you know not coming in and expecting five, six, seven sacks out of the guy. It's an interesting signing considering the fact the amount of depth that Washington has at the DN spot. Obviously, you got your starters in, in Chase Young and Montez Sweat, but you drafted James Smith-Williams. You drafted William Bradley King. You drafted Shaka Tony. You have guys like Casey Tuhill. You have guys like Bunmi Rotimi on the roster. You have a guy like Daniel Wise. Those are all rotational pieces that are there and had impacts last year. But iron sharpens iron. And when you have a guy like Obata, who's been in the league for four years, had five and a half sacks two years ago, bigger body, 6'6", kid, 265 pounds, got some juice on the outside. 
let him compete, let him earn some snaps, and I think add in some juice, whether it's behind Montez or even behind Chase or whether it's working behind a guy like James Smith-Williams or, or Bradley King, rotational depth at pass rusher never hurts. And as we saw last year with Chase going down with his injury and missing the entire year, depth matters. And a guy that has, has experience in the past and has been able to get to the quarterback and bring him down a little bit, a guy that's still super young, he's under 30 years old, he's got some juice, he's got some pop in his hands, got some stiff lower, you know, a stiff lower half that I think he'll be able to work with, you know, work alongside Chase Young and Montez and being able to diversify his pass rush skill set. Um, but again, nothing to, you know, call home about, nothing to go crazy over, but it's a depth signing. It's someone that's going to come in and compete for snaps in training camp, whether it requires them to make a move with any of the aforementioned depth pass rushers, but it's a not-for-long league. I think we all realize that. I think the players realize that. Ron Rivera realizes that, especially heading into his third season where he's coming off of two sub-500 campaigns. But he's bringing in people that are going to compete, whether it's right now, moving into OTAs, and they're going to compete in practice, or you're going to compete for snaps in the regular season, and every snap should be earned. And a defense where a lot has been expected last year, and it faltered after what was a successful year in 2020 with a weaker schedule. They will have another weak schedule this fall, so there should be, you know, success on the defensive side of the ball should be expected this year, especially considering the talent and the age of these guys now in their prime. No one's, you know, a spry chicken. Everyone is going to be able to, you know, they've gotten their feet wet. And they used to be just be having guys that are just getting their toes wet in the NFL. Now, you know, they got their knees in, they got their waist in the water now. And Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Cole Holcomb, Cam Curl, William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, all these guys, whoever they add in the draft, whether it's linebacker, safety, corner, they add in a Sauce Gardner, they add in Derek Stingley. On the defensive side of the ball, these guys are going to have to come in and make an impact right away, or there's going to be a lot of changes moving forward into next spring. All right, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you for tuning in. Please like, share, review, comment. We're on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your news, your podcasts, you can find us there. On social media, Twitter, you can find me at underscore Ryan Fowler. You can find all of my work at thedraftnetwork.com. Check out our mock draft machine. Give it a run, full seven round. We have reviews on all the prospects. You can do Washington. You could do all the NFC East teams. Whatever you want to do, whatever team you want to do, put your GM shoes on. Take the mock draft machine for a spin. All of that is housed over at thedraftnetwork.com. And also, sneak peek for you guys, we have a brand new website dropping right before the draft. It is clean, state-of-the-art, all of our articles, our content, whether it's written, video, updated prospect reports, the mock draft machine is going to be housed there. Everything is going to be updated and super, super clean new website that's going to be released here in the next few weeks or so. That's a sneak peek for you guys. But as always, wanted to thank you guys for tuning in. I will see you on Monday. Enjoy the last few days of the week and the weekend. I'll talk to you next time on Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.